Uh, so this morning, Pastor Eric is going to share with us, which I'm really excited. And if you saw the email, you'll see that he's going to be talking about soul care. Um, and I think that's one of the most important topics we could talk about as a group of men. And I just want to share just real fast, just kind of my journey with that. I think about seven years ago, I was in a really bad place, you know, a dark place, um, a hard place to live. And it was our third year in Oregon. I mean, I'm working here at River West. And, you know, great things were happening all around me. You know, things were great with Kathleen, my wife, and our kids. So family stuff was good. Ministry was good. I was not good. And I couldn't put a finger on it. But, I mean, it was getting to the point where each day was getting harder and harder. It was harder just to get up in the morning. Even the, the, the simplest of tasks just felt really overwhelming. Um, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't know what was going on. And um, God gave me this vision. He actually gave me kind of two different visions. And the first one, I mean, I, I saw this so clearly one morning. And it was a picture of, um, of a cliff, all right, like with a thousand-foot drop. There was this cliff, the huge drop. And I was running towards that cliff. Like I was running like full speed toward the end of that cliff. And in this vision, this, it wasn't a dream. And, and, you know, I don't know exactly how even to describe it. But in this picture... I knew with certainty that uh, two things. One, I was going to run right off the edge of that cliff. And I didn't know if I had days, weeks, months, or years, but I knew that the pace in which I was running, it was going to take me right off of that cliff. And it scared me because I felt powerless. I recognized this is not a good thing, but I did not know how to stop running. Um, that was the second part. That was really scary. It's like I know something needed to change, but I did not know what. And running harder, working harder, was not what was going to be what was going to save me. So that freaked me out a little bit. And so I'm thinking about that. I'm pondering that. And then the second picture that I got, um, it was of a bucket. And in that bucket, there was clear, cold water. And then right next to that bucket was a sponge um, that was dried out, brittle, crusty, hard as a rock. And this is honestly what I heard the Lord say. That sponge is your soul. That was one of the biggest wake-up calls of my life. I'm serving in ministry. I'm doing these things. Things are great at home. But I was dying. And what I knew was I needed to take that sponge and it needed to be in that cold, refreshing water. And just, you know, that was the Lord. Just, I had lost my connection with my Heavenly Father. As a pastor, I'm, I'm telling you this. And that started my journey of like, okay, what am I doing wrong you know, where is that disconnect? What do I need to do to take care of my soul, most very, the most important part of me, so that I can continue still giving my family, my friends, and ministry? So it started me on this whole new journey. And I'm so thankful that the Lord took me to that point. Because I'm, a, I'm a better man for it. I'm a different man for it. And so when Eric said, hey, this is what I want to talk about, I got really excited. Actually, I wanted to talk about this. Right? But he's going to talk about it, uh, which is awesome because the Lord is doing a work in his life related to this as well. Um, so I think we're all going to learn. And, and maybe as I was describing that, you're thinking, okay, Mike, that's where I'm at. Or maybe you're just on the edge of it. You just kind of feel like something's not quite right. It might be time just to do a soul check. All right. So let's uh, welcome up Pastor Eric and uh, listen to him. Today. Thanks. Good to see you today. How are you? Great. Cool. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are clearly invested in, in who we are. And you are committed to seeing us transformed into the likeness of Christ. And we, we recognize that there is so often such a, 
such a great chasm between the life that we see you calling us to and, and where, we're actually, where we actually are. And, but Lord, we, we want and we long to move towards you today. The goal is not that we would enter into some sort of perceived perception through what we see today, Lord, but that we would move closer to you and your heart and your desires for us. So help us to that end, we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. I'm really grateful to be with you today, with this morning. Um, as Mike said, and I, just, I trust that God has something for all of us, and, and I know that that is true of me today. So I guess I want to say at the beginning of this that um, I'm, I'm speaking this to myself and uh, hope, hoping to grow in it. But I'd like to start by reading something to you, if that's okay. And I don't know why I'm asking, because I'm going to do it anyways, but listen to this. After nine seasons, the popular sitcom, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, broadcast its final episode in May of 2005. The star of the show, Ray Romano, went from life as a struggling stand-up comedian to one of the highest paid actors on television. At the conclusion of the last day's filming, Romano spoke to the studio audience, reflecting on his past and his future. He read from a note his brothers had stuck in his luggage the day he moved from New York to Hollywood nine years earlier. My older brother Richard wrote, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul, said a tearful Romano. Now I'm going to work on my soul. Here's a man at the, at the apex of his career He's went from struggling to get by to making more money than he could possibly imagine, more money than he could even know what to do with, and he has all these people that love him, and um, he's successful, he's winning, and yet he stands before this audience at the end of this successful run, and he says, I need to go work on the most important thing about me, because I've lost that somewhere in the midst of this. And I think we've met, we've met that guy. I, mean, we don't, I don't know Ray Romano, but we know that guy, right? And, and admittedly, there's some of us in here who would say, that sounds like my story. That sounds like where I'm at right now. Externally, there's, it looks like a win, but internally, I'm, I'm losing. Many of us circumstantially might be rich and wealthy and prosperous, but internally we're impoverished. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. Often as, not just men, but as human beings, we live from the outside in, but God's intent is that we would live from the inside out. Often we spend so much of our efforts working on the external things going on in, in our lives. I'm working on this and I'm doing this and I'm succeeding here and, and this is a project I'm working on and, and we're not meant to live from our projected self inward. We're supposed to live from our inner life outward. You with me? Anybody? This is how God designed us to live. And so today I want to talk to you about your soul. And I would go, I would be as bold as to say that I actually hope to speak to your soul today. So what is the soul? We've got soul music We've got soulmates, we've got soul food, soul Korea. No, never mind. We say things like, we, we say, we use the word soul a lot. We say things like, that, that guy is, is the heart and soul of that company. He's the 
heart and soul of the duck football team or the beaver football team. We use this word regularly, but what does it actually mean? A person that's really helped me with this is not somebody I know, but um, it's it's a pastor named John Ortberg, and he wrote a book called Soul Keeping, which I'm going to highly recommend, and a lot of this talk comes from that. But I want to read this to you. Uh, I believe we have that quote up there. Brenton's multitasking. He's doing a great job. There we go. I want to read this to you. Your soul is what integrates your will, your mind, and your body into a single life. Just going to let that sit for a second. So when he talks about your will, he's talking about your intentions. When he says your mind, what he means is your thoughts and feelings, your values, your conscience. And when he says your body, he's talking about your actions and your face and your body language. He says the soul integrates all of those things into a single life. He goes on. He says the soul is healthy or well-ordered when there is harmony between these three entities and God's intent for all creation. When you are connected with God and other people in life, you have a healthy soul. God designed us so that our choices, our thoughts and desires, and our behavior would be in perfect harmony with each other and would be powered by an unbroken connection with God, in perfect harmony with him and with all of his creation. That is a well-ordered soul. The soul is what connects all those innermost parts together, connects them with God, and was made for harmony all the way through. Most of you are like, huh? What? It's, just let the coffee and bacon do its work. We're going we're gonna to make sense of this, I believe. I truly do. What he's talking about, I think what he's talking about is, is integration. That sounds a lot like a, like a word that we guys like, uh, integrity, doesn't it? And when we use the word integrity, so often we are thinking of, hey, a guy with integrity is a guy who always does the right thing. Guy always shows up when he says he's going to. And, and that may be true, but I think that's a limited view of what integrity or integration means. I think, I think that Ortberg's right when he says that integration is when all the things that I desire and the things that I feel and the things that I think and the things that I do and say are actually aligned. Does that make sense? A disintegrated person will be someone who says, I I know the right thing to do, but I most deeply desire this other thing that's actually opposite. In all of us, every single human being has felt that disorder that disintegration. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the soul today because the soul is designed to integrate all of our lives. And I know you think this is a purely philosophical conversation at this point. So as always, we're going to open the Bible because I think the Bible is going to teach us the best things we can learn about the soul. Genesis 2.7 says this, The Lord God formed the man out of dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. But the word creature is not what it literally says. The Hebrew says the man became a living soul. Some of your translations, if you brought a Bible, will actually just say that word. The man became a living soul. The first thing that God says to humans 
is that you're a living soul. But even more than that, what this speaks to us, I, I truly believe is that our souls were made to be connected with God. God breathed his breath into a man and that man became a living soul. So whatever we say about soul, it's about being made in God's image. It's about our design to be connected to God. You were made for unbroken connection with God at a soul level. Amazing. There's more than one verse though, I promise. We spent this summer in the Psalms here at, at River West and the psalmist is always talking about the soul. Listen to Psalm 103.1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And listen to this, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. All that is within me. When, when the Bible talks about the soul, here's a simple way to define the soul if you're not, if you're not into what Ortberg is saying. All that is within me. When God is talking about our souls, he's talking about all that is within me, which for me is why I like Ortberg's definition because it's all the things that make me, me. That's all that is within me. And the psalmist here is saying, I want to worship God with all of that. I want all that is within me to be oriented towards God. Also in the Psalms, it says this in Psalm 42, the psalmist says, why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Again, there's that phrase, within me. The soul is in turmoil within me. And then he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. All that is within me was made for unbroken connection with God. And then what about Jesus? Ray Romano's brothers plagiarized that letter, didn't they? Do you remember what they said? It wasn't their words. Wasn't it Jesus who said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That was Jesus's words. Jesus goes on and says, what shall a man give in return for his soul? Or how about Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30? It says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is invested in your soul. He is committed to your soul. Do you believe that? We spend a lot of time learning how to take care of things as guys. Some of us do that better than others, but um, some of you know how to care for your home. Leaking the plumbing. I don't need to call anybody. I got this. I dated a girl in college and, and her dad made me learn how to change the oil in my car, which I genuinely thought was the greatest waste of time. And he's like, we're saving money. I'm like, really? Because we just bought the oil for, it seems like a lot of money. And then he's like, well, we're saving a trip. I'm like, well, we have to do something with the oil. It doesn't just sit here in a bucket. So we pride ourselves on learning how, how to take care of things. We take care of things that are important, but they're not the most important thing about us. I think that probably our soul is the most important thing about us. And 
how are we doing? How's your soul? Are you taking care of it? Are you working towards ensuring that it is oriented and directed towards God? That's, the, that's really the question that we need to ask ourselves. And it's not just this vague metaphysical or philosophical question. That's the question that God is asking us today. Is how, how's your soul doing? I'm invested in that. We were made to, to know and be known by God at the deepest level. So we're going to talk about that today. Before we talk about some principles or some practices, I guess I'd say, that would help us to, um, to move our souls in the right direction, I, I want to just be explicit in saying that there is something that wrecks havoc on our soul. And I'll just put it into a word for you. Sin. It's sin that disorders and disorients our souls. I love what Ortberg says here. Just listen to this. When the will has become enslaved by its need, when the mind has become obsessed with the object of its desire, when the appetite of the body has become master rather than servant, the soul is disordered. The ultimate reality behind human dissatisfaction is sinful souls that have been cut off from the God we were made to rest in. That's why we're dissatisfied. Just look at that for a second. The will has become enslaved by its need. The mind is obsessed with the object of its desire. The, our, the appetites of our body are, are, are mastering us. When that happens, our soul is disordered. So what Ortberg says in his, in his book that I love is he says, we must renounce once and for all whatever does not lead us to God. Remember, we were made for connection to God. And he says, we must renounce whatever doesn't lead us to God. And you're thinking the same thing I thought when I said that. That's a lot easier said than done, right? In a, ta- in a conversation like this, we become aware of the disconnect, of the lack of, of integrity in our lives. And we're like, yeah, I, that's probably true. I should renounce some things, but how am I actually going to do that? And remember, Ortberg's writing to Christians here. He's writing, and even the Bible is written to people who are committed to following God. So this isn't like something we just figure out when we get saved. This is a lifelong process that we're invited into. So I think what we need to do when we, when we think about the soul is we need to learn new habits. Don't you think? We need to learn some new habits. That's how we're going to keep the soul healthy. And so this morning, I'm going to, I'm going to present with us six, six habits. And I know that's a lot. And I know that that's probably too much, but I'm going to say them in groups of three, like pastors do, three points. I'll group them together and then you'll remember them. Listen to this. Ortberg says, this is what the cure for souls looked like for Jesus' followers. They confessed their sins to each other. They prayed and studied the scriptures together. They replaced sinful habits with new habits, Jesus' habits. They met together, not as an obligation, but for survival, soul survival. I love that. 
These first three habits or practices are, are about community. Because we need each other for our souls to be healthy. So those three things in that quote um, are this. Confession, prayer, and God's word. Big surprise coming from a pastor. But those things are actually done not just personally. I confess my sins to God. I, I prayed to God. I, I opened God's word by myself. But actually done in community. So I want to talk about confession. Who hears your confession? Is that a habit in your life? Is it a regular habit? Is it normalized for you to go to another person and say, I've sinned against God and it's affecting my relationship with my spouse or my, my son or my daughter or my friend or my girlfriend. Is that normalized in your life? It needs to be because confession is a habit that the healthy soul has embraced. So is there anyone in your life that you're unfiltered with? That there's no pretense with? There's no show. It would be impossible for these people to be impressed with you or to put you on a pedestal, right? Is there someone in your life like that? I hope so. And if not, why not? There's people in my life and even some of them in this room who there, there's no way they could listen to me give this talk and believe that I've actually got all this together. <laughs> and I think that's how it should be, don't, don't you? We don't speak as experts, but we, we're on a journey together. And confession reminds us that we're on a journey together. And so, again, I'm just going to lean into this for a little bit more. Is, are you holding yourself accountable to anyone regarding your alcohol consumption or your internet viewings or the way that you speak to and treat women in your life and workplace. Many of us have, a, uh, have real power and influence in our life. Is there anybody that keeps that in check? Confession creates that kind of thing in your life where we begin to stop living from our projected selves, but we confess what's actually inside of us and then move towards wholeness. Can anyone nod with me on that? That's God's desire for confession. Yes, we should confess our sins to God, but the means of grace that God pours out into our life, how often has that been through the relationship of someone else as you've confessed something, they've said, I'm with you. I'm going to walk with you in this. We're going to move towards wholeness together. Confession. Prayer. Ortberg says that these Jesus followers in the New Testament, they prayed together. One of the things that drives me the most nuts about like groups of guys is we, we'll talk about guys and we'll say, well, his, his, his faith is just really private. And this is going to sound judgmental, but there's like, if you can find that in the New Testament where that's praised, where that's like not, where the New Testament is like, yeah, yeah, no, no, you shouldn't like be in community with people. You should just live kind of a private life. Like the person that it's antithetical. It doesn't work. It's, it speaks to nothing of the church community that Jesus promised that he would build. 
So prayer needs to be a habit. It, we, it becomes normalized for us to pray with and for each other. Is there anybody in your life that you pray with regularly? And as that becomes a habit, it actually changes you. My relationship with Adam McMurray, I would describe primarily um, as a relationship that's filled with prayer. I go into his office. We talk about our church. We talk about um, what's going on here. We talk about our own lives. Five minutes in, Adam looks at me without fail. We need to pray right now. Then we go on, we talk about more things. We need to pray right now. What if prayer was, was normalized in your life? And I know what you're thinking. You're, my office is not like your office. And I get that. And I really do get that. But there was, I read this great quote this, this week by, by a Christian thinker and writer. And he says, the goal is that to see someone is to pray for them. The, the prayer, it becomes normalized. We see people in our life. How many of you have just texted somebody when they, if some, you get the text, hey, I'm struggling, praying, bud. Why not just call them and pray? Or if you're committed, as some of you millennials are, to texting, text them a prayer right then. Don't tell them you're praying, do it. Prayer becomes a habit and, it, and what happens is that our, our prayers become more bold. They become more courageous. They become more connected to God's word and God's intention. And so we create the habit of prayer. And then the third thing he said is God's word. Who do you read the Bible with? There's something, okay, I'm in, I'm in a men's group and there's, there's, there's some cool things that happen when I read the Bible by myself alone in the morning, but there's some really cool things that happen when Kevin and Craig and Jason and Dave open up the Bible with me and say, there's, here's what I'm seeing. This is what God's doing in my life right now. This is what Jesus' followers have always done. They've gathered together to confess, to pray, and to open God's word. We need it. The best men's groups are the men's groups that have that present in them. And I know many of you who are in groups, I know that your, your leaders value that. If you're in a group where those aren't present, change something. Change everything so that those things can happen when you gather together. So those three things are communal, they're relational, but I want to also talk to you about some, some habits that are deeply personal, that I think helps our souls move towards a deeper integrity and health and wholeness. And the first is this, and it's weird, but write this down. You need to talk to your soul. You need to learn to talk to your soul because the Bible tells you to. <laughs> I'm serious. Remember Psalm 130 or 103 1? Who's he talking? Can we put that back up on the screen, Brenton? Thank you for all your multitasking skills. Psalm 103 1. Listen to how it reads Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Who's he talking to? himself, but I would say even deeper, he's talking to his soul. That's soul talk. And it's all over the Bible. He's speaking truth. David is here is speaking truth into his inner life. He's talking to his soul. In Psalm 42, which we read earlier, he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? 
Put your hope in God. Now, I'm going to go off on something for a second, and I'm hoping it connects. But soul talk and self-talk are a lot different, okay? Soul talk is what's happening here. David, the psalmist, is speaking to the deepest part of him, and he's saying, put your hope in God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why? Because David knows that the soul lives in the presence of God. The soul exists in the presence of God. Don't you love the song, It Is Well With Myself? This is what I think the difference, I, I, I genuinely think there's a difference. What's, here's, here's my self-talk. Come on, Johnson, get it together. Dude, you just blew it again. Get yourself together. You got this. You can do it. What does the psalmist say? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. See, when we talk to our souls, we're connecting our innermost being with God. We're actually speaking God's truth, God's word, God's love into the deepest parts of ourselves. So I don't think it's ironic that Jesus says, if anybody wants to follow me, he must deny himself. He doesn't say deny his soul because God's invested in your soul. He wants to renew and bring health to your soul. So that's a little bit of what I think soul talk is. And it sounds totally weird until you do it. And thank God for the Bible because you actually have a script that you can personalize. So I just, I'm starting to just say that to myself. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. That Psalm, read Psalm 103 later, it goes on. Don't forget, don't forget all that he's done. You speak that into your soul. That ain't self-talk. That's not reliant on you. That is your innermost being connecting with God. Practice it. Make it a habit. See what happens. The second thing is this. Of these personal ones, we need to create intentional silence. I said earlier that our souls are often disintegrated or disordered because of, um, of sin, but I would include all of the effects of sin and really our souls are disordered oftentimes because of all of the noise that's in our life. I think that's why in Psalm 62, David, talking to his soul, says, For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For he is my rock, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. I'm sitting with my guys group this week, Thursday morning, and we're talking about some of these things. And one of the guys looks at us and he says, why do I have to turn the radio, the sports radio on when I'm driving in my car? Like, why, do, why does Colin Coward have to be in my car with me? Or, I don't know, subbing your guy. We have to create silence. The noise helps us to escape. It helps us to escape from God. It helps us to escape from our Family, it helps us to, I think, escape from ourselves, our, 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 our true selves, our soul. 
But when we create intentional moments of silence, we create a space where God can actually speak to our souls. So if soul talk, if talking to your soul is you speaking God's truth into your inmost being, then silence creates the environment where God can speak. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. We talk to our souls. We speak God's truth into us. But then we create silence so that God can speak, so that God can impress something on your mind, a truth that you need to embrace right now in this moment. So I think we should create those maybe extended times of silence in our, in our mornings before we're scrolling through the news feed or Twitter or whatever. But throughout the day, when you find a silent moment, don't fill it with noise. You just got a gift. Young dads, you with me? Get a moment of quiet. Are you kidding me? I don't want to fill that with, and this is what I do. I don't need to fill that with a reorg of my fantasy roster. I want to fill that with silence so God could speak into my innermost being. So create that, embrace that, own that, claim that. And the last thing I want to say that I think helps bring health and order to our souls is simply this idea of inviting God in. Invite God into every single thing in your life. One of my spiritual heroes is a guy named Brother Lawrence. He didn't write a book, but there's a book attributed to him called The Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence lived in a, in a, in a monastery many, many, many years ago. And his role was to wash the dishes. And Brother Lawrence has this quote where he says something to the effect of, there's no difference if I'm in the sanctuary praying to God or if I'm in the kitchen in the midst of all the chaos and I'm cleaning dishes. Why is that true? Does that downplay our, our time of worship? No, not at all. What he has discovered and what he has pursued is an integrated life where he says, There's, I don't have a, a private spiritual life that I, that I relegate to an hour and a half on Sunday and then I get on with the real business of life. He says, there is only life with God. That's just what there is. Your soul, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been renewed and restored by him, you are deeply connected to the God of the universe forever. Why not embrace that? Why not try to live every single moment of your life in conscious awareness of that reality? That's what I'm trying to do. That's incredibly hard. And the amount of, like the, when you start to view your day that way, the proportion of when you're actually doing that until the to the real life that you're living is, is, is vast, I guess I'd say. But the more I begin to do that, the more I begin to see I'm walking into this work environment. Part of my job is to have difficult conversations with people. I don't know how to describe this, what pastors do. We have really difficult conversations. But, but here's what I know. The living God is present with me. So I want to walk into this conversation as aware of that as I possibly can be. 
I walk into my home after a day here. You know, we get, you get home and then you actually really get to work, you know what I mean? I walk into my home the other day. My son, my youngest son has put, we don't have a dog, but we have a dog door in the, in, in the back door. And he, um, it's next to the hose outside. So he put the hose inside the dog door and turned it on for a while, long enough, you know? Like, how long does it have to be? It was long enough. I walk into that, you know, like that. Here's what's happening. But God's with me. And I know that that might not sound practical, but just try, just try to do that. Capture each moment. Ask yourself this question. What does it look like to be God's man right now? You might be walking into the most mundane thing possible, but what does it look like to be God's man in that moment? In 20 minutes, I'll be standing on a sideline as the assistant coach of my son's soccer team. What does it look like to be God's man right then and there? If God's with me, if God's for me, if God is at work in my life right now in the way that I relate to these young boys, how, how am I going to talk to them? How, what am I going to speak to them Am I going to yell less? Hopefully. <laughs> it's a big field though, so you got to get, you got to get a hold of them somehow. But, but when, when we do this, when we invite God into everything, I think what happens is we, a lot of the times we do all of the same old things, but we do them with so much more power, so much more conviction, so much more assurance. You with me? Because we know God's with me. When I walk into class, God's with me. When I interact with this person, God's with me. When I get on the sales call, God's with me. It's a myth. And I think, it's not even a myth. I think one of the devil's greatest schemes is, is to cause us to think that we start our day with God and then we get on with the business of life because there's really no way to bring God into any of that. What a great myth. If you invite God into every situation of your life, you will always find that he's speaking, that he's moving, that not only he cares for your soul, but he cares for the soul that you're interacting with. What a great, amazing gift. So when we invite God in, a couple things happens. One, we, we, we begin to live in, in that sense of God's awareness. But here's a question that I think we need to ask often. And um, this is in the, in, in the book, Soul Keeping from Ortberg, he says, ask yourself this question. Will this situation block my soul's connection to God? Ask yourself that question often. As you're inviting God in, a lot of the normal things that you do, that you have to do, these are your assignments. I'm not talking about being a dad. You need to be a dad. But you might find in certain areas of your life, hey, this situation I'm in, is this going to block my soul's connection to God? Is this going to starve my soul or fill it? Will this fill my, my soul with a deeper sense of God's um, presence and his wonder and his grace and his truth? Or, or do, I just, do I need to leave this situation, habit? A healthy soul is, is asking themselves that question and not in fear, 
but they're knowing and believing, increasingly believing that God is speaking at all times. I think, I think that there's a payoff to what I'm talking about. Mike told me, he said, tell them what the payoff is. Okay. When you care for your soul, I'll, I'll say it this way. When you focus on taking care of yourself, you're going to do that for your own reasons. But when you take care of your soul, every person that you interact with could be blessed by you. I take care of my soul for my wife, for my kids, for my friends. So this, this whole talk is not like hobby justification. You know, I need to take care of my soul, so another three-week hunting trip. You know, it's, I think what's, what happens is when you embrace some of these habits, these new habits of soul care, I promise you, it will increase your connectedness to the people around you. Because God is always wanting to do that. Remember our first John series? How do we know the love of God is in us? By the way that we love one another. So you can't over-pursue God. You can't be overly connected to God and then be sort of like a, a mystical you know, monkish figure who lives in a cave. The more connected you are to God, the more your relationships thrive, the more that you have grace and truth for others and grace and truth for your own soul. And I believe that's what God's doing and calling us to today. And so I'm going to pray. Lord, your, your word is true. Our souls are restless. Our souls are in turmoil until we put our hope in you. Our innermost being was, was designed to find its home in you. There's so much noise. There's so much hurry. And let's be honest, there's, there's sin in our lives and we we confess that. We confess those habits have disordered and disoriented our souls and we want to move towards you, integrated, full of your love, ready to extend it everywhere we go. Lord, we, we recognize increasingly that this is a journey and we're so thankful that you are on it with us and we're thankful for the guy on our right and our left calling us into this more fully, Lord. So would you continue to speak to our souls and help us to listen to what you say? In Jesus' name, amen.